I'm Alex Eschbeck. And I'm Matt Golden. This is the Henchman of Comics. This week, we're going to talk about Tom King, specifically his run on Vision and his run on Batman. Ooh, I love Batman! Now, have you, what was the first thing you read by Tom King? Uh, the first thing I read by Tom King. Tom King hasn't been out for that uh, for that long, to my knowledge. I mean, he's done a few things over the past couple of years. He's done Sheriffs of Babylon, Omega Men, Grayson, uh, and now Vision and, and Batman. So actually, Vision was the first thing that I read. Uh, it got a lot of hype uh, through Marvel, and I just had to read it. It was getting so much hype, so I had to check out Vision. So Vision was the first thing that I read. What about you? Yeah. Tom King wasn't really a name that like resonated with me at first. I had heard of the Omega Man, heard it was really well received by people, and it was canceled before its time, in people's opinion. I heard great things about Grayson, which he wrote with Tim Seeley, but that was never a name for a writer that like, stuck like in my claw. In fact, I remember when Vision were first coming out, uh, I asked the guy, well, call book shop, I asked the guy behind the counter if he had like recommendations for the new Marvel runs, and he recommended Vision to me. And I thought to myself, I was like, why would I ever read a Vision comic book? Like, I have no interest in Vision. How can that character be interesting at all? Uh, what are you talking about? It's Scarlet Witch's love interest. Everybody wants to know all about Vision all the time. Yeah, and that brings me to my first question. What did you know about Vision, or what have you seen of Vision before reading the Tom King series? I knew he was, like, reddish in color. And he had like a little uh, gem on his forehead, which I now know is the Infinity Stone, or one of the six Infinity Stones. Yeah, it is in the MCU. Uh, that's not the way it is in the Marvel comic universe, but it's a really cool tie-in with the cinematic universe. Like my first experience with the Vision, I think was like an old—I want to say it was like an old like Super Nintendo video game, like an Avengers video game. Right. They had like Hawkeye, Captain America. Uh, Iron Man and the Vision. I think the Vision was like all white, like a white cape, if I remember that correctly. And he would just yes. fly around. You will see, uh, you will see the Vision all white sometimes, like in the Infinity Gauntlet. If you go back and and read uh, old Marvel Universe stuff, sometimes you'll see him dress all in white, which is baller. I wish I could dress all in white every day. I mean, you can. You might just look like you're going to appear in a Jamiroquai video. Is there anything wrong with that? I don't think so. But eventually, I did start, I mean, I, along with several other people, realized that I should be reading The Vision, and I jumped on reading it. I read it through Marvel Unlimited, and you read it through the trades, right? I purchased both of them. I took a leap of faith after all the the hype surrounding them. And keep in mind, this is well after the, the, uh, the hype had come and gone. People had already loved it. It was already finished, well established at that point. But I bought both the trades. And engulfed them in just a couple of hours. I sat down and, and read them both, which I definitely recommend. It was it was a trip. So what was the moment where you realized this comic is something special? His wife, Virginia, daughter, Viv, son, Viv, Vin, son, Vin, daughter, Viv, two kids and a wife. Vision creates this family because he wants to be more human, wants to be normal. What was the moment when you realized that the vision was something different? Like, when were you hooked on the series? The moment when I first knew that the vision was going to be a comic book that I was going to absolutely love and not going to be able to put down um, was when it was actually the very last page of the first issue. It's not when the daughter gets absolutely sliced and diced by the Grim Reaper who comes in 
out of nowhere and just an absolutely fantastic panel by Gabriel Hernandez Walta, the artist for the vision who, by the way, does some incredible work. The moment that I'm talking about that had me wrapped up and hooked in was when the wife, Virginia just absolutely bashes in the skull of the grim reaper, just murders the absolute piss out of the guy in front of her children in the kitchen floor. What about you, Alex? I know I think, that I, I, I stole the best moment of the entire series. It's actually not like my favorite moment, but I think we should back up for a minute. And we'll note that in this book, this series, the vision moves to Virginia and creates his own family. Yes. So, in this book, the vision creates wife, Virginia, daughter, Viv, son, Vin, and their goal in life is to just live a normal life. Yeah, and that's kind of what the series opens with. As you see, the typical story of a family who doesn't fit in with the town that they live in and trying to cope with that and trying to not necessarily adapt, but actually, no, they do try and adapt and become uh, part of the community. They do an absolutely terrible job at fitting in with everybody else. It's almost like they're not human. Yeah, it's almost like when you are some sort of superhero related to one and you move to a small town, generally at least one supervillain is going to follow you and this won't have to be the Grim Reaper. Now, had you any experiences with the Grim Reaper before this book? I had no experiences with the Grim Reaper, who I actually believe is related to Ultron. Am I wrong there? No, I actually don't know. I'll stop my head. Like My experience with the Grim Reaper was in an X-Men book. Ladies uh, and gentlemen, I've stumped X-Men. Alex Eshback. Regardless of whether or not my question was valid or accurate, I stumped the genius. It has been done. It's possible. You two can do it. Uh, genius is a, a bit of a stretch, I would say. <laughs> I don't think I uh, said genius. Did I say genius? I said genius. Yeah. Uh, so continue with your with your love for the Grim Reaper, how he's your favorite superhero. Yeah. <laughs> or villain. But hero in my eyes. <laughs> Whenever he murdered Viv uh, or attempted to murder Viv, like, man, this guy's a real hero. He halved her pretty hard. He he cut her in half solid. But I do think what you talked about, the end of issue one, where the Grim Reaper attacks the family whenever Vision is away and dices Viv, attacks Finn, and Virginia kills him. Uh, that is a wonderful, inciting incident that really sets up the series because Virginia says that they cannot tell Virginia and Vin, really Vin, that they cannot tell their father what happened. So it creates this wonderful dynamic of this horrible secret weighing down on this family while they're trying to achieve some sense of what they believe is normalcy. Did you have a favorite moment in the book? I did. I also had a couple of favorite characters that probably most people wouldn't have. Elderly couple that actually lives across from the visions on their very perfect abode. George and Noor is an elderly couple who just seem like the absolute worst, especially George. He's a, a terrible human being just based off of his mustache and a few other things. But early on in the book about page four, it goes on this lovely description of them touring the vision's house and bringing them cookies, which they're synthesoids. You idiots. They can't eat food. Why would you bring them food? Uh, but towards the end of it, uh, they have this pleasant exchange with the visions, and then it it goes on to describe Tom King does that George and Nora are going to die in a horrific fire caused by one of the visions. Think that that moment there, early on, 
kind of just fills you with this terror, this overwhelming sense of, holy shit, this book is heavy. And it, it starts like that. It's pretty incredible. What about you? What was the, uh, kind of a, give me a turning point for you when you realized it's not just going to be a good book, but this is, this is truly a great book. So what would you say is a turning point in the series for you that kind of just had you just freaking out that it was absolutely balls to the wall amazing? I mean, I really enjoyed the series uh, in the beginning, and it was by issue four when like I was hooked and couldn't wait until I read the next issue. Virginia goes to the house, a child who was picking on one of her kids, and the dad's there, and he freaks out. He doesn't live in New York City. He's not used to seeing an android or a synthesoid in his home, and he reacts, I would say, unfortunately, and pulls a gun on Virginia when Virginia's oh, trying to have. Let me interrupt you just very quickly because I love to correct the genius in the room here. This uh, this father, his child was not picking on them. However, he witnessed the murder, or not the murder, rather, but the burying of the Grim Reaper by Virginia. That's what it is. And the kid was a classmate of the children. I think he also did pick on the kid, too. I mean, you're not totally wrong. I would pick on the Visions kid. Would you? I mean, would that be like the smart move? I mean, have you seen that yeah. kid's haircut? Yeah. He looks like a bro. But Virginia arrives at the house. The guy confronts her about the Reaper being murdered and buried in her yard. And he pulls a gun on her. Well, eventually, tensions heighten. Yeah, it gets and, pretty damn intense. Yeah. And he fires a gun. She becomes <laughs> hard like a diamond. And the bullet fires off her and ends up killing her son who walked from his bedroom down the stairs. So the father inadvertently ended up killing his own son. And then Virginia, in order to keep everything quiet, decides that she has to murder the father. So the murder of Grim Reaper was like one thing. Like murder for a hero is inherently wrong in the Marvel Universe. But when you murder someone who's just your average citizen living at home and also are partly responsible for the death of their child... Like, that's what takes a whole new dark twist. And Virginia's now, the secret that Virginia was keeping pales into comparison to what just happened at the end of issue four. Yeah, killing is bad wrong. It's bad enough if it's a villain, but if it's a civilian that you go and kill, that's a big no-no in, in kind of uh, hero comics. You don't just go and kill people. It's bad. It's naughty. It's, it's frowned upon, I would say. Now, were you satisfied with how the series ended? I was very satisfied with how the, the series ended. Obviously, you can't have the Vision get killed off, uh, but you can have other characters uh, like the son and the wife, Virginia. They both die. And the fact that Virginia chose to take her own life was a bold and dark move in the comic realm. Suicide is a kind of a, an overarching theme of a couple things that we're going to talk about today uh, because we're just positive people here and we like to bring about the the happiest things in life. But she she decided to take her own life to protect the vision in this book, which was harrowing and scary and dark and just made for excellent storytelling. It it wrapped up the, the story of Virginia Vin and Viv and the vision extremely well, and it kind of put a nice little bow on everything. I thought it was excellently wrapped up. I don't really have any complaints about this book. I I struggle to find. I have a lot of complaints about a lot of books, but this one's not really one of them. What about you? What do you, what do you dislike about the vision? Why do you hate Tom King? 
I mean, there's this book. If I had like a dislike and like as corny as this is, like I'm sad that it was just a limited series and only ended at 12 issues. You hear that, Marvel? Alex has a problem with the way that you do things. Yeah. I mean, I could really make things worse for you guys over there. Where's the Gambit solo book? The fans are clamoring for it, guys. Come on. But all 12 Gambit fans are really, really mad right now that there's not a Gambit solo book. I think it really, though, I think issue 11 is where Tom King, like, hit out of the park, where you mentioned where Viv came in and she ended up killing Victor Manja. Oh, yeah. We didn't even get into Victor yeah, Manja. We really Ooh. glossed over that. Yeah, we uh, we sort of lost train of, uh, of this story. Why don't you give us a... I'll let you get into your, your Victor Macha stuff here. But give me a, a brief rundown of the of the series just as quick as you can. It's twelve issues, so there's a lot to cover. But but go over just real quick for, for all of our listeners out of here who have listened to it or haven't listened to it. Give everybody a, a brief overview. Well, really, I mean we've talked about the two murders committed by Virginia. It kind of escalates in a way because Victor Mancha, who was part of the Avengers AI team, a part of the Young Avengers. Who is he to vision? Do you remember? Off the top of my head. Oh, you dirty, dirty boy. Uh, Victor Macha is his younger brother. Yeah, he was also created by Ultron. He was created by Ultron. But Victor, unlike Vision, doesn't look like a synthesoid. Like, he looks completely human. But Victor ends up moving across the street or in the same neighborhood a couple houses down from the Vision. But it's learned that he's there to watch the Vision on behalf of the Avengers. Because the Avengers are concerned about the Vision's behavior and about the fact that he moved to Virginia to create a family. They're keeping an eye on him, that's for sure. Yeah. Throughout the story. Continue. That eventually escalates, and Victor eventually ends up murdering Vin, Vision's son. And that leads to like my favorite moment. He electrocutes the poop out of him. Of the series, whenever the Avengers have realized what's happened, they pull Victor out. And they're keeping him in a secure location. But Vision eventually flies the location. They try and talk him down. But he ends up beating the tar out of all the Avengers. And normally you could say, like, I mean, that's not possible. That's absurd. I mean, and all of the Vision is incredibly powerful. One could easily argue that every other Avenger combined could beat him. But Tom King did such a good job with his writing that I was able to spend any disbelief or questions. I completely bought in that the Vision be able to fly in, take them all down, and reach Victor Mancha with little to no problems whatsoever. Yeah, he's kind of this 50s dad in the book that has things a certain way and kind of likes them that way. But yeah, he he goes in and just dismantles this Avengers team in what turns out to be, if you ask me, kind of the climax of the the entire series. Everything else afterwards, um, while, while still great, just isn't on that same level of intensity really that 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 fight scene provokes and and what happens next go ahead a really cool thing about that issue 11 where the vision goes in and beats up all the other avengers is it's the narration is from roy thomas from the avengers volume one number 57 and number 58 which was written almost 50 years ago but even though it's written decades ago might seem like it's dated, but Tom King recognized that it gives it this wonderful, like, haunting and powerful feel of who the Vision is and what he was meant to do because he was built by Ultron to destroy the Avengers. And so that also helped bring the authenticity to the battle there. Not so much of a battle, but 
It really isn't a battle. It's a dismantling. He yeah. just takes them apart piece by piece, Avenger by, by Avenger. And eventually, he comes to Victor Macha, who's locked away, hidden in, in the Avengers' headquarters. Yeah, whenever he's about to destroy Victor, Virginia comes into the back of the cell and basically rips out Victor's heart, killing him on the floor, basically sacrificing herself so the Vision can still remain, I don't want to say pure. But a hero, yeah. But a hero, yeah. And it's interesting, like, that is where the penultimate issue ends. Issue 12 is kind of a wrap-up with Viv meeting with the Scarlet Witch because Viv is now alive and back, but... Also, Scarlet Witch brought back probably the most important member of the Vision family, which we didn't talk about before, but Sparky the dog. Oh, my God. The the beautiful, beautiful dog. If you kill a dog as a writer, I will never read another work that you do. But if you bring that dog back after you make me feel things, I'm okay with you, which is exactly what Tom King did. Victor Macha killed the family dog, which if you ask me, Vision wasn't mad about his son dying, but rather the dog getting murdered, which... Is enough to drive any man over a cliff. It is an interesting book, though, as it ends. I mean, you see Vision and Viv talking at the front of their house, and you realize that this book that's supposed to be about a family and togetherness and trying to assimilate into normalcy ends up being a tragedy. And the people that survive are the father, daughter, and the family dog. Do you think it's much of a statement on um, kind of the political landscape today? I don't really like to talk about politics uh, a whole lot, especially not going to be on this show. I'm not going to talk about that really. Uh, but do you think it's kind of a, like a, a criticism of modern families and people moving into sort of a new neighborhood, people who aren't welcome? I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say what Tom King's intent was. If you're not going to tell me exactly what Tom King meant during every word that he wrote, then what use are you to me, Alex? What use are you to our fans, our one fan out there right now? Fill up the other half of the airtime. (laughs) But this book did win Best Limited Series at the Eisner this year. So we did mention it was well-received. It ended up being an award-winning book and earning one of the highest honors that you can in comics today. It's uh, Billy Eichner, right? The Billy Eichner Awards? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Uh, Named after the, the famous... Actor who yells a lot, who is very funny. He's a very funny man, but he yells a lot. And now he has a comic award show based on him. Do you have anything else you want to add for the vision? Yes, go buy it again. Don't just read it on Marvel. Go and, and add it to your collection because as a collector, there's nothing better than having that hard copy in your hand. I love reading on my iPad through Marvel Unlimited, but go and buy it. Go give Tom King your money. That man deserves it for what he did. Read everything else on Marvel Unlimited but go buy that book. It's absolutely incredible. It'll make you feel things from issue one to issue 12. And again, it's only two books. We've mentioned Marvel Unlimited a couple times on this show. Uh, for those that don't know, Marvel Unlimited is a subscription service. Think of it in a way like Netflix for like Marvel Comics. Basically, all the modern issues, they get uploaded six months after they release on the stands. And they're constantly adding older issues and older content on there as well. You like Daredevil? Go check it out on there. They've got a ton. You like X-Men? Go check it out. They have a butt ton. You know what else you might like? Batman. Can't check it out on there. It's DC, you dumb dumb. And we're going to be talking about Batman right now. Specifically, the first two trades written by Tom King. First trades, they cover issues one through six, Batman Rebirth issue one, 
and then issues 9 through 15 for the first two trades. Now, there might be some some of you out there who don't know what a trade is. It's basically just a collection of a story arc or several comics. Usually it's it's in the realm of four to seven or so comics. Um, usually you'll get four to five in a general trade, which is something that I will say that I absolutely love about these Batman trades. You get seven comics in each one of these trades, so it's well worth your money to go out there and buy these DC comics, which again are not on a streaming service. You have to go and buy these physical copies. So for your money, seven issues is a ton. It's well worth it. For the record, you can buy them digitally, but you just won't. There's no subscription service where you pay month to month to get unlimited access to them, but you can buy the full trade and read it digitally that way if you choose to. You can, and I would say go buy them at your local comic shop for the 19th time on this episode. But what did you think of uh, the first series run, or the first story run, I Am Gotham? I thought I Am Gotham was pretty great. I liked the, the introduction of the new characters, Gotham and Gotham Girl. I thought Gotham was pretty solid new villain that you'll kind of get into towards the back half of it. But starting out, you'll notice some some differences in, in Batman. He is a, a continuation of Scott Snyder's Batman from the New 52, but he is kind of a different man in this one. Yeah, at first, like I was hesitant, like my first introduction to it before I read a single issue was I just saw the cover of Batman standing next to Gotham and Gotham Girl. And Gotham and Gotham Girl are two cape superheroes who arrive in Gotham City one day and basically save Batman's life as he's trying to save a plane full of passengers from dying. And he realizes that he accepts his fate and realizes he's going to die in order to save their lives. And Gotham and Gotham Girl swoop in and end up saving him and the passengers as well because they have superpowers, super strength, flight, the usual smorgasbord of your superhero to individual. Uh, yeah, let me go ahead and, and keep keep on that. The first couple issues here are basically about Batman and Gotham, or rather just the first issue is, is about Batman guiding this jet into the water and basically assuming that he's going to die. He knows that this death is coming. He thinks it's a noble death. He's saving all these thousands of lives, so he thinks it's a good death. And actually, he's talking to the sassiest Alfred that I think I've ever encountered. Tom King's Alfred, and it's really only in the first trade, is just the sassiest motherfucker I've ever met. And he's just charming and hysterical. And then he actually asks Alfred, is this a is this a noble death? Is this a good death? And Alfred tells him yes. So Alfred and Batman are, are consumed with the fact that Batman's going to die, saving the town, saving Gotham from this plane crash. Now, that's when in swoops Gotham and Gotham Girl help Batman out and get him out of this sticky jam. Yeah, and I was initially skeptical of this because, like, again, I was completely just judging a book by a cover. I was kind of grown to myself. I was like, ugh, like, more costume heroes. I I have this terrible habit where anytime, like, a new character introduced, I automatically don't like them because it takes away page time from the characters that I already love and am reading about, which is so stupid and ignorant, and I end up liking a lot of those characters in the end. But you come to learn, basically... Batman wonders if he can trust Gotham and Gotham Girl, if they have any ulterior motives. And it brings to my favorite moments in the book whenever you see a detective talking to Gotham and Gotham Girl's parents, interviewing them about their kids and their past history and all that. The detective eventually leaves and he rips off a fake mustache, and of course, it's Batman. And I like that because it was 
Bruce Wayne doing detective work. Not as Batman, but in the daytime, going out. And because Batman can't really show up at 2 a.m. as a detective and just ask general questions about their children. It was a really cool twist I haven't seen often in the Batman books. I didn't like it because it had Batman have a mustache on. And I was under the impression that Batman would never have a mustache. So I was I was personally deeply offended by Batman's mustache. Wouldn't that be a bold look, though, that if there's some, some version of Batman where he has a mustache, like you see the cowl and then you see a mustache. Like, like a underneath. Tom Selleck, yes, just exactly mustache. That would be beautiful. I, I want that very, very much. <laughs> How quickly your mind changed on the subject. <laughs> oh, it, it took no time at all. Something else that I really liked about this series, it, it took till the, the third issue, and it, it starts right off the bat with a typical oh, my parents are about to die, Batman uh, thing. Oh, we're going to go die in Crime Alley. Which, by the way, why would you ever take your son to Crime Alley? So you see this young boy and his parents walking down Crime Alley, and sure enough, they start to get mugged, and the a bad guy with a gun comes out. And you're like, oh, no, here we go. As a Batman fan, I'm like, all right, I've seen this story 40 million times. Tom King, why do I have to watch you? You do this to me. But guess what? It's not... Batman, it's Gotham as a young kid, and Batman comes in and saves the day, which actually prompts Gotham and Gotham Girl to become these Batman superfans from a young age and train to be just like their favorite hero, Batman. Yeah, I think that's the really cool thing that like Tom King does so far in his series is that he leads the reader down this trail. You're like, oh, I've seen this before a hundred times. I know where this is going, and then it takes a turn that's delightful like just to say a word there's also like he does it he does it really well in both the i am gotham storyline and in the i am suicide storyline where he basically mentions the justice league and why they aren't there or why superman isn't there Uh, a lot of writers choose to ignore it which is fine but at times as a reader when you read enough batman books you might wonder is like well why can't superman just be there in a second to help him out like why can't just like be there a second to help him out and Tom King, in both storylines, uh, explains it in a way that makes it perfectly plausible. In fact, in the I Am Gotham storyline, the Justice League does show up at one point. But that's after Batman realizes... No, not after Batman realizes. That's after Psycho Pirate has gotten a hold of Gotham and changed his mindset. The notorious Psycho, psycho Pirate. Uh, a bad guy here in both Volume 1 and 2. Probably the most unlikely villain to make it through two trades of a, of a Batman book that you'll ever find. Psycho Pirate is a master of emotions, and he actually kind of turns Gotham into an evil badass of sorts. And he actually ends up going toe-to-toe with Batman. Gotham does after, uh, after Psycho Pirate gets a hold of him and starts controlling those emotions and making him feel things. And that's actually... Close to when the Justice League intervenes to that's, save their That's exactly compatriot. when the Justice League intervenes. Yeah, and you're like, okay, so this fight won't last long. But the cool thing about Gotham, at least I thought it was cool, was that Gotham's power level is exactly what it needs to be against the opponent that he's fighting. The catch is, is that it shaves moments off his life, whether it be days or years. How much of how strong he gets shortens his lifespan but that means that he's able to go toe-to-toe superman toe-to-toe with aquaman and take them down as needed i thought that was pretty interesting as well at some point he even goes uh toe-to-toe with the most badass batman villain of all uh solomon grundy born on a monday 
I don't think that's how he says it though. Yeah, so you get you get some Solomon Grundy issue one or uh, trade number one. You get you get Lucky uh, Psycho Pirate and you get Gotham as as your three bad guys for the for that first arc there. What do you think of the weak points? Are there any weak points for this one? I mean, for me personally, like uh, I'm not a big fan of Duke. Duke is someone that made an appearance during Snyder's run on Batman. He was in the comic book series We Are Robin. He basically becomes the guy behind the computer that you've seen that helps Batman out. It's just trophy seen a lot of comics as well, too. I was never a big, and I never read We Are Robin, so I don't have that connection. My only connection to Duke is through Snyder's Batman runs, but I never really cared for him all that much, personally. No, Duke is just kind of there. I don't hate him. I don't love him. There's no real reason for me to have Duke there at this point. Maybe somewhere down the line in future trades, Duke's going to really become a part of the the series that we've got going on here. But as of now, he's just got this yellow costume that I don't really care for. And he's just sort of there. Yeah. it's. I mean, in my mind, I would rather have any other member of like the Bat family there, whether it's one of the Robins or whether it's Batgirl or Batwoman, although neither Batwoman or Batgirl have a reason to be there. That's just my personal dislike of Duke. I think you're a little harsh on him, but yeah, you're right. He's not great. He's not great. What do you think of uh, the turn for Gotham Girl? So for you guys out there, after Gotham is smacked down in issue five or six, Psycho Pirate gets a hold of Gotham Girl and kind of takes over her mind, and Batman decides to take her under his wing. So kind of what were your thoughts on that part of the storyline there? Yeah, I thought it was interesting that Batman chose to, in order to like calm down uh, Gotham Girl and gain her trust, Batman reveals, he takes off the cowl and, re- and reveals to her that he is Bruce Wayne. It actually kind of reminded me of Kevin Smith's run on Batman, his brief run uh, with Cacophony and Winding Gyre, where uh, this hero comes to Gotham, helps him fight crime, gains trust of Batman. And Batman reveals his identity. It turns out that that person is actually the villain Onomatopoeia from Kevin Smith's run on Green Arrow. Uh, so I thought there were like those similarities. Uh, the difference is, I think, one is that Tom King will actually finish his story and we'll get some conclusion for Gotham Girl. We saw it's been years later and there's been no conclusion to the Kevin Smith story. And I like, too, how the second storyline, I Am Suicide, began with Gotham Girl, or Claire, as her name is, in bed still suffering and Batman vowing to get her help, which is what launches that second storyline too. It does. And she goes kind of Britney Spears at the end of uh train one and just shaves her head and decides to still be a superhero. And there's a, there's a two page picture in here of her just kind of jumping off the side of the building. Uh, she can fly by the way. So she's not really in any danger by jumping off the side of this building. But uh, something that I wanted to bring up was the artwork in this book one. Uh, by David Finch was just beautiful. And there's a Gotham City landscape with her just jumping off into the night sky that just sets this amazing tone. And it kind of is a beautiful backdrop for this person just slowly losing their mind thanks to our, our psycho our psycho friend here. Anything else you'd like to add about Tom King's first story on Batman? Yeah, it's surprisingly heart-wrenching, especially towards the later stuff. You... You've come to expect moments like this from Batman a little bit. Typically don't get them early on in series. Uh, obviously, if it's a, a one-off, you'll get it at the end. You'll get that sweet Batman sad payoff, which you did here with, with Gotham Girl. And you can see in, in some of uh, Mr. Finch's artwork there, just the pain in her face. 
it's just really beautiful and kind of a way that Batman doesn't typically explore. So that, that was something that I, I really liked. I thought it, it summed up that first trade very well, which is, again, issue number seven. Yeah, there's like another little moment that I, I mean, I really enjoy just as a longtime Batman reader was when he makes a mention of a building named Morrison, which I thought was a reference to Grant Morrison. Then he follows it up, talking about that when he dies, Dick Grayson, Nightwing, the first Robin, will take up the mantle of Batman, which is what happened whenever Grant Morrison took over the Batman run eventually. Dick Grayson, for some issues, was Batman with Damien, which I thought was a really cool little nod to Batman's past history to one of the great Batman writers. Yeah, Grant Morrison has done some amazing things with Batman. I would highly recommend you going and checking that out. So the second trade of Batman that we're going to get into is called I Am Suicide, which is a send-up to Suicide Squad. Basically, Batman has to create this uh, team of villains to go and get Psycho Pirate back from Bane uh, in order to save Gotham Girl's mind, because he's the only one that can go back in and reverse the damage that's been done to her. And he has partnered with Amanda Waller, who runs the Suicide Squad, for this mission. I think it's definitely the weaker of the two trades, if you ask me personally. There's still a lot of really cool stuff in it. There's some good Bane backstory with him surviving in a well right off the bat. See, I actually enjoyed this story more between the two. I love the artwork, although they were both great in both trades. There's this great moment, though, when you like first see Bane in the present, and the panel basically zooms out. He's sitting on this pile of skulls with this heavy shadow drawn over him, which is a really imposing... Badass. Yeah, it's a really imposing drawing, especially for the character that once broke Batman's back. Which also brings my, one of my favorite moments, is that Batman routinely throughout the book tells Bane... That if Bane does not hand him Psycho Pirate, that he's going to break, quote, break his damn back. Not only does he tell that to Bane, he tells that to literally everybody in that issue. I think it's uttered like 636 times, that phrase, I'll break your damn back, which is actually, it actually plays. I actually kind of liked it quite a bit, but he tells that to all the henchmen on the island that he will break their damn back if he doesn't give him Psycho Pirate. I kind of like that because it shows Batman is in that moment like very singular minded. He is a man on a mission. And He's got with a the goal. goal. Yes. Yeah. And nothing's going to stop him between there. Well, let's rewind again. Batman goes and chooses his, his suicide squad of, of villains back at Arkham. And what do you think of, what do you think of his lineup? I mean, there again, I talked about before how Tom King takes you down one road that you think you've seen before into twist. Whenever he approaches a person in Arkham wearing a mask, talking about how they're the only person who understands who they truly are and why they do what they do, it's assumed that he's talking about the Joker. Especially like the way it's drawn. The character has a mask over their face, but the mask is pulled off and it's revealed that it's Catwoman. I thought that was a nice addition to the team. Bronze Tiger as well. Bronze Tiger is kind of that character that's not like a true villain, but sometimes can be motivated to do good as well. And I love the ventriloquist edition because I had no idea where it was going to go or how it was going to play to its usefulness, especially without his puppet Scarface. That generally is the one that tells him who to kill and what to kill. The ventriloquist was probably my favorite part of this whole book. This old man just cracked my shit up the whole time. In addition to bronze tiger, Catwoman, and ventriloquist, we've got punchy and Julie, a beautiful couple in love who are kind of the comic relief 
for the first five issues of the trade. They'll say a bunch of nonsense stuff, and I thought they provided uh, a lot of moments of levity and some, some otherwise really serious stuff going on in the book. Yeah, there's this moment in the book where it seems that Catwoman has betrayed Batman and betrayed Bronze Tiger and screwed up the entire plan. Which I think is kind of the, I mean, the cool moment in the book is that was all a ruse. But again, it shows a cool side of Batman that I enjoy watching how their real plan comes together and how reality actually happens. Because Catwoman actually didn't screw them over. That was Catwoman, quote unquote, betraying Batman was part of Batman's plan. And it was all falling in Another line. Tom King twist that, yeah. that played really well, I thought. Uh, but to back up for a second, back to uh, Punchy and Julie. Again, this is, uh, <laughs> we've got two twists and two trades, and we also have two fake mustache reveals. Uh, Punchy, when he is being selected for the for the crew, poses as Commissioner Gordon and thinks he's fooling Batman to get to his girlfriend, Julie. Little does he know, Batman knew it was Punchy all along and not Commissioner Gordon. Because how could it not be a 28-year-old man in, in the place of a 55-year-old guy? All he had to do was take off that mustache, and, and that's who it was. Now, did you have any favorite moments with this book? I did. We haven't even got into it really yet. I like the break-your-damn-back issue where Batman just goes and and beats the snot out of, of several villains. And the whole time is just on a mission from God, it seems like. And he just goes and messes everybody up. And I also loved Catwoman's betrayal because at the time I was like, oh, no, here we go. How's Batman going to get out of this situation? Like I knew he was going to, you know, get trapped with Bane and get murdered. No, but it, I thought it was a uh, was pretty great because Catwoman actually is shown as as killing some people. Now, to kind of spoil some more stuff for you guys in some of the later issues of this trade. It's revealed that Catwoman actually had 247 murders to her name, which is is kind of one of the big story arcs for for this story in particular. Yeah, like that really surprised me. Like, because Catwoman is traditionally not a murderer, and I was like, is that part of this new rebirth thing? Is like they've turned Catwoman into a murderer with where the universe is going now? Nope. A long story short, no, she is not a murderer. They they definitely make you think that way, and even up to the betrayal. She kills Punchy and Julie as part of her betrayal, which, as it turns out, she did not murder them. They were alive. She fake cut their throats, which was a totally badass twist, something that you weren't really expecting, which leads us to one of the coolest issues of the of the whole book. And just from that point onward, I thought it was some of the best Batman that, that I have ever read. And I am probably over-dramatizing it. It's good. And it, it's kind of a love letter, which is not normal for Batman. What do you think of the, the love side of this? Yeah, the final two issues deal with Batman and Catwoman basically having a tryst before Batman is supposed to send her to Blackgate Penitentiary, where she has life without parole there. Normally, I'm not a big fan of like the Batman love interest or the Bruce Wayne love interest, but the exception I hate them. I always, hate them. Catwoman has always been the exception for me. Because, and like it's talked about, get it. or in the story, is that Batman feels like Catwoman is the only person that understands him. And I don't know how true that is, but they have so much in common. And even though they, one lives in a world of black and white, and one lives in a world in shades of gray, their bond is something that Batman or Bruce Wayne 
will not be able to get with pretty much anyone else. No, not at all. And and what's really neat, and even going back a little before that story, right after the betrayal, there's this, it looks kind of like a letter that Batman wrote to Catwoman, and it's sort of a love letter, and it's kind of painfully beautiful, and he goes on this rampage, and you kind of assume that it's because Catwoman just betrayed the whole party. Obviously, come to find out that that wasn't the case, but it kind of sets up those last two issues extremely well and shows the relationship between Selina Kyle and and Master Bruce Wayne. And then again, at that very end of that, that last issue, at, in that love story, you've got kind of a comeback to reality with Bane sitting on his throne of skulls again and the psycho pirate next to him, Selina Kyle at his back. It's it's very powerful imagery and and some great uh, some great artistry by um, Mikkel Janin again, who is not the same person as the first trade. If you didn't catch that, well, I think I mean for me personally, what I thought was nice about this trade is like after reading both of them, I just wanted more Batman like in this Rebirth universe. Oh, I but did too. I wanted to go out. I wanted to get. I wanted to read Batman out of the Monster Man. I want to read All-Star Batman. Uh, I want to read a Detective Comics. As always, I'm enthralled with, with the Batman. So this this rebirth was a was a great dive back into what they're going to start doing with Batman. And this was your first rebirth book, correct? These were my first two rebirth books, yes. I've got uh, Wonder Woman by Greg Rucka. Uh, that I just purchased, and I can't wait to to dive into that. I'm a big Wonder Woman fan. She's probably my second favorite DC superhero by a long shot. And I've read Green Arrow's Rebirth book. I'm kind of I'm trying to finish the New Fifty Two before I dive into the rest of the Rebirth books. But I mean, everything I've read so far has been a great start to the Rebirth universe. So you like the Green Arrow Rebirth? Yeah, I the Green Arrow Rebirth book I thought was much better than any of the previous New Fifty Two Green Arrow books. But I think we're getting off topic, and I think that might be calling the wraps for this episode. Anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I would. I would like to go back to those uh, those final two issues real quick, where it's it's a love story for all intents and purposes, and it's it's a Batman like you haven't seen. So I've read a lot of reviews on the on the rebirth with the Tom King, and people got interested because he wrote Vision, and a lot of people um, had mixed reviews on it. I saw highs, I saw lots of lows. People just kind of thought it was all right, kind of waiting it out. But I want to say that that love issue was not why I come to Batman, and it's certainly not something I'm going to expect going forward. And if it was always that, I, I, you know, I probably wouldn't have started reading Batman. But in its self-contained nature, it was very beautiful. It was very haunting. And there's actually an image in the first installment of it. There's two images that are just breathtaking that really had me sold immediately. It's one on the second page. It's a, it's a full pay, full two pages of just Batman and Catwoman just embrace on a rooftop under the stars. Uh, Mitch Gerard's uh, the artist and the colorist for this. Uh, these two issues did an absolutely incredible job. And on the following page, you just see a, a painstaked Catwoman after she knows that, she can't be with Batman. She understands what's going to happen. The following morning, she knows what's going to happen. She knows that it's over, but she wants that night alone with Batman, which again, saying this kind of stuff, I've got no problem with, but in the context of Batman, it throws people off. So I can understand people throwing some, some shade on the Batman in this rebirth issue, but I thought it was 
absolutely amazing. I, I loved it. I, there were some issues that I had just in general with kind of the way that everything developed in the first couple issues of this trade. Not really a fan. Uh, all these minor characters kept popping up like Kite Man and, and Mayo, like a bunch of random old foes kept cropping up and you're like, oh, why would Batman work with these jabronis? And he didn't. So it ended up being okay. And the twist, again, was a great twist. I liked it. Some people saw it coming. I personally didn't. Uh, but what about you? Any final thoughts on Tom King's first two trades? And again, there are several more issues out for the Tom King Batman. So don't spoil anything for us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. what were your final thoughts on, on this Batman? I mean, I really enjoyed it, especially as someone that was a big fan of Snyder's run. I was cautious going into this, but I think Tom King has made Batman his own while still paying homage to the series that came before him. So I look forward to see what's next. I can tell you what's next. We've got another Bane trade, and then we've got some Joker and Riddler around the corner. I haven't read any of it, but I can't wait to. I'm very, very excited for it. So keep a lookout for those trades if you like us. And by trades, if you read the single issues, don't email me spoilers, you jerk. All right, and that's going to be it for this week's episode of the Henchman of Comics. You can email us uh, with comments, questions, tell us what we got wrong. I'm sure plenty of you will at thehenchmanofcomics at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Instagram as well. That's it for this week. For the Henchman of Comics, I'm Alex Ashback. I'm Matt Golden. Henchin ain't easy.